something strange is happening in the Irish gangland scene. After years of escalating violence, gun crime across the country has now reached record lows. Gun crime is dropping at a rate that we just really haven't seen in the last 20 or 30 years. Really, every indicator that we have shows it's very, very low at the moment. The last time we saw a huge jump in gun crime was in 2016, following the Regency Hotel attack and the heating up of the Kinahan Hutch feud. Two Irish drugs cartels, one of them now based in the Mediterranean, are locked in a feud. The men who lead them used to be associates, joint godfathers in a multi-million euro operation. And that wasn't the only time in our history that gun crime has made the headlines every other week. In the mid-2000s, gangland killings claimed about 20 victims a year. Those Celtic Tiger years, when you look back on them now, um, they were just absolutely off the charts. They were crazy. But now we're in a period of let-up. So what exactly is going on? I'm Aideen Finnegan, and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, what's behind the drop in Irish gun crime? And will this law last? I talked to security and crime editor Connor Lally to find out. Connor, this is a really positive news story, and I think one which demonstrates that when the will is really there and the resources are provided, you can really affect radical change. Now, thankfully, we don't have a gun culture in the sense that we're not like other parts of the world where carrying a weapon is common. But people who have access to guns, I mean, who are they? Yeah, I mean, I think it is fair to say that we don't have a gun culture in Ireland. Um, I think it's very much a subculture. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, really firearms are in the possession of and they're used by people who are involved in very serious organised crime. Um, you know, in America, obviously a lot of people carry firearms, a lot of people in the the lower kind of uh, rungs of the crime world, if you like, are armed. And we definitely don't have that problem here and we've never had it. OK, so that's who has the guns, but where are they getting them from? Certainly the drugs gangs that were prominent in the drugs trade in particular areas would be able to get their hands on firearms. And in a lot of cases, they would steal these on, you know, in robberies on people who actually legally trade in in firearms. Um, You know, that was a problem for quite some time. You mean like farmer shotguns, that kind of legal trade? Yeah, or even people who sell guns. Yeah, so people who sell them to sporting shooters, farmers, hunters, whatever group of people, you know, legally use as firearms. Um, We have firearms traders here, people who import them and then sell them legally. And a lot of their, you know, warehouses and homes and so on would have been uh, robbed um, and these guns would have been stolen by organised crime elements. The guards will certainly tell you they believe that a lot of the firearms that are coming into the country are basically being sourced by Irish crime gangs, by the same people that they source their drugs off. And it means that once a group becomes established in the drugs trade, they have access to firearms at the same time. And then you have, I suppose, what you might call a more, you know, informal uh, way of using firearms. And this would be some people who are involved in crime run a service where they hire out firearms. So you can rent a gun for a day and it costs, you know, maybe a thousand euros, maybe 500 euros, X amount of money. And then the deal is that you may be able to shoot that gun five times in a day as part of the price. Wow, package deal. It's a Yeah, or every time you shoot it, you have to pay more. And then if it's used to kill somebody, you've got to pay for the price of the gun and then get rid of the gun as well. So we don't have a huge amount of detail about, you know, 
prices and so on. But certainly that service has been run down the years by various people who are involved in crime. So it really means that... And would they rent them out knowing that someone's going to be shot? Well, they're not typically rented out so you can kill a person with. I mean, that's, you know, that's the last thing that the person hiring out the guns wants to happen with their firearm because then, you know, they're on the hook. It's more a prop to be used in robberies or maybe something to practice your firearms skills with. You would avail of that service. That's incredible. I, I never knew that before. So notwithstanding everything you've said, we, you know, the gun crime has fallen to, is it an all-time low? It's hard to say an all-time low. On Garda Shikana used to compile the crime data and they'd publish that data every year. And it was patchy enough. It, was, it wasn't the most accurate crime data in the world. And it was also, they changed from year to year the way they actually presented the data. And it was always very hard to compare. It was, it was particularly hard to get a long-term trend. So the CSO has now been compiling crime data for the last 20 years. So it's the 20-year trends that we're looking at here. Jordan Davis was walking his four-month-old baby son in a pram when he was shot dead on May the 22nd in 2019. 42-year-old man has been shot dead in West Dublin. The shooting took place in the front garden. The 29-year-old was found yesterday morning on a footpath in Deanstown Avenue with a single gunshot wound. Last year we had five people shot dead. The previous year we had two. Back in the Celtic Tiger era and in 2016, you know, it was around 20 people per year. When you look into things like um, the number of people treated in Irish hospitals for gun attack wounds, in 2021, that was only 10. And it was 59 back in 2005. Wow. So it's really, really, it's, it's far lower now than it has ever been. And then when we come to illegal possession of a firearm, there were 452 cases in 2008 and that was down to just 171 cases in 2021. So even those kinds of, you know, relatively uh, minor gun crimes have plummeted like by 60% since the Celtic Tiger era. So it's not just people being shot dead, it's all aspects of gun crime are really at an all-time low now. In order to understand why, I think we have to go back and talk a little bit about why it was so high previously. Okay, tell me about, is it the Celtic Tiger was kind of the previous peak? If we look at, say, Irish organised crime from, I mean, in very broad strokes, from about the year 2000, by that stage, I'm not sure if the Celtic Tiger phrase was actually coined by then, but certainly the Celtic Tiger was well underway. You know, Ireland was really booming from... The 1990s, really, the economy took off here. There was lots of jobs, you know, unemployment was very low. And really, the country took off in a way that we hadn't seen before. Now, the moment we became prosperous, I suppose we had more cash for things like socialising. And if you were around then, I'm not sure how old you are, but I was around then. Um, Even the number of new, like, restaurants, clubs, pubs opening up, the place just exploded. The whole social scene exploded in Ireland uh, back then. And with that came an explosion in cocaine. Now, look, we've had cocaine in Ireland. We had it long before the Celtic Tiger, don't get me wrong. But it would have been a fairly small trade uh, pre-Celtic Tiger years. The big drugs here were always cannabis and heroin. Cannabis would have been used by a lot of people, but it was very low margin from the crime gang's point of view. And while heroin was much higher margin, there was a much smaller audience for that. 
when cocaine began to become popular, it was the perfect drug because the user group was huge and the margin was big. And it really got so big that I would compare it in the legitimate economy to like the start of, you know, the internet. I mean, this tech boom or a big pharma boom. It was it was a new frontier. It was kind of a gold rush in our in Irish organized crime terms. So what happens is you have to bring the drugs in here. You have to have somebody who will, you know, take them when they arrive in Ireland, chop them up, bring them to other crime gangs all over the country, sell them on the streets and so on. So the number of people required just to shift and sell this quantity of cocaine was massive. Because of that, we we had a situation around the year 2000, maybe a couple of years earlier than that, where a whole generation of primarily young men, you know, teenagers, got involved in the drugs trade for the first time. In Ireland up until then, people would normally earn their spurs in the crime world by starting off small and kind of, you know, growing. So they would get involved in things like burglaries or stealing cars, and then they'd move on to like robbing factories and doing those kinds of crimes and then maybe escalating into armed robbery and drugs. But what happened, because the cocaine trade exploded, because the people bringing in the drugs just needed a huge you know, workforce to keep the trade going, a whole generation of young men bypassed that crime apprenticeship of more minor crimes and they got straight into the drugs trade. By about 2001, 2002, you really had numerous crime gangs all over the country that were made up of really by very young men. I mean, the leaders might have been in their early 20s. They have access to loads of money. Uh, They're taking the cocaine themselves in a lot of cases. And as we spoke about earlier, um, they're getting guns from the same people that they're buying their wholesale drugs from. So it's a volatile situation. Um, With older criminals, when things go wrong, They will try to resolve it maybe um, in most cases, obviously not in all cases, but they'll try to resolve it in a way, I I won't say peacefully, but in a way that doesn't bring guard heat on them. And what I mean by that is if a drug deal goes wrong, they won't necessarily reach for a gun as the first option. Whereas the younger people who got involved at the very start of the Celtic Target years, that's kind of what they did. They were more immature. They were more hot-headed. Their involvement in the drugs trade as well also brought them status in their areas and in their peer group. And there was a need to kind of protect that status. And when you were challenged at all, if you didn't kind of hit back harder, you were seen as weak. So gang members were reaching for their guns more quickly. Can you remind us of some of those feuds which may have hit the headlines at the time? What exactly was happening back then? In some of these feuds, like two and three people were killed in the, in the same week. Somebody could be shot on a Tuesday and then there could be two other people dead by Friday. Any one of these feuds on their own would have been the worst feud ever in the history of Irish organised crime. Yet there was about four or five of them going on at the same time and then smaller ones would also break out. So people would probably recall the feud in Limerick, which really went on for about 10 years, started in around the year 2002, went on for a decade. The Crumlin Drimley feud, again, started early 2000s, went on for about 10 years. The Westies in Blanchardstown, the Westies weren't even a gang. They were nearly referred to as a whole generation of younger men who were involved in organised crime in Cardiff and Blanchardstown. And they spent 
almost 10 years feuding and a lot of them ended up dead. We had feuds then in places like Kulak, Finglas, uh, you know, the Eamon Dunn gang, the Marlow Highland gang. And then we had smaller feuds um, in some rural areas as well. Like there was a gun feud in Sligo for several years. Didn't really take off in the same way that the other feuds did. I mean, obviously, when you look at like um, the situation in Limerick or in Crumlin, Grimna, like there were nearly 20 people per feud shot dead over a period of like 10 years. So why did the Celtic Tiger stuff peter out then? Basically, you had that influx of young men in the early Celtic Tiger years. I suppose they all went wild for a period of time. A lot of them ended up dead. Others ended up behind bars. Others have kind of relocated abroad as well because they've gone up the chain. So they're in places like Spain. Some of them are in Amsterdam. I mean, even the gang that was headed up by Eamon Dunn, once Eamon Dunn was killed, you didn't hear a peep out of them after that. And yet when Eamon Dunn was the head of that gang, I mean, they killed over 10 people in a very short period of time. I mean, Eamon Dunn was really only the out-and-out leader of that gang for about, you know, for a relatively short period of years. And they just went on an absolute killing spree. And once he was dead, they didn't kill anybody else ever again. And then I suppose they got older and... They started thinking like older criminals do. Try and not bring guard attention on yourselves. Our main reason why we're involved in crime is to earn lots of money. So let's just try and go about things in a calmer way. Coming up, a shooting in Spain stirs up the next wave of gun violence. Connor, after the Celtic Tiger years where gun crime levels were pretty high, as we've been hearing, things settled down for a while. That is, until the events of 2016, right? The weigh-in was taking place for a boxing match, aptly named the Clash of the Clans. It abruptly ended when gunmen, armed with assault rifles, burst in and opened fire. I think everybody knows what happened there. Um, Gary Hutch uh, was shot dead by the Kenan cartel in Spain the previous year. Um, there was then an attack on the Regency Hotel where Daniel Kinnan was the target. A man called David Byrne, who was part of the cartel, he was shot dead in that attack. People fled in terror, children as young as five, screaming for their lives. And then once that attack happened then, the uh, Kinnan Hush feud in Ireland absolutely exploded. And there were a large number of gun killings throughout 2016. And again then, there was an awful lot of pressure brought on the guards to try and get a handle on this. Because it was terrifying for people in these communities. Oh, absolutely. You know, driving past these crime scenes and driving their kids to school past, you know, forensic teams with tents out. And again, we were into that phase where you could have several people killed in a week. I mean, within days of the Regency Hotel attack, Eddie Hutch was shot dead. You know, these were quick succession killings. There wasn't one in a week and then we wait six months. This was like bang, bang, bang. So, as I say, we hadn't seen that for nearly 10 years. And obviously people were up in arms. It was all over the media. I think as well the kind of spectacular nature of the Regency Hotel attack, particularly the photographs of the people of the gunmen going in with AK-47s dressed in mock guard uniforms that were blasted all over the media. That really shocked Ireland. And the guards were just forced to get on top of these people. There had been cutbacks in the guards up until that point. 
So the minute the Regency Hotel attack happened, cutbacks were over. There was loads of, you know, loads of cash for Garda overtime and so on. And very quickly then we see, and I do mean very quickly, within the space of a year, we see massive Garda surveillance operations on people who are either inside the cartel, i.e. part of it here in Ireland, or people doing jobs for them, supplying cars for certain things, storing drugs or firearms. Um, How much time, energy, money is needed for something like that? Yeah, I, I mean, that's the problem. We only ever hear of the successful cases. So, you know, surveillance operations are really labour intensive. You've got to keep teams of Gardaí on, on groups of men, maybe not 24 hours a day, but pretty much 24 hours a day. And it's, it, it, it costs a lot of money. And that type of cash just was not available within Angarda Shea in those years after the Celtic Tiger went bang. But as I say, once the Regency Hotel attack happened, the guards put a huge operation in place, particularly focused on the Kinnahan cartels crime group here, the, the Liam Byrne organised crime group here, and people working for them. And it's really the clampdown on that gang, I think, and the guards think, that has been the single biggest driver of gun crime falling in the past few years. There were two operations in particular, uh, one in 2017 and one in 2018. There was one hit team, as it was called in, in a court, was about to kill Patsy Hutch, and they were caught like red-handed. And in actual fact, there was uh, several of them in the car about 500 yards away from Patsy Hutch's house with loaded firearms in the car. They had things like gloves on, balaclavas, they had cans of petrol in the car. They were waiting for a call in an apartment block, a car park, to basically say that Patsy Hutch was outside his house now, so, you know, go now. And they were going to fly down the road, speed around the corner and shoot dead Patsy Hutch. As they were waiting in the car for that call, the guards caught them. And the reason Sounds why like the gar- a bust in a Martin Scorsese yeah, film. and I mean, the reason why the guards caught them, the gang had bought a van online to use in the hit and the guards had actually planted a bug in that van so they heard all the conversations. So they all went to jail really for periods of between 5 and 12 years. So that's a whole group of people there working on behalf of the Kinahan cartel, gone. Gordy said they filed a gun attack in connection with the Hutch Kinahan feud in Dublin. Four men have been arrested and firearms and a car were seized. Detectives believe they've prevented another murder in the ongoing feud. Then there was a second operation, November 2017. And again, there was a hit team um, about to kill a man called Gary Handley, who is a friend of the Hutches. Again, exactly the same thing. Guards planted a bug in the car that they were using. And on that particular occasion, as they were driving to the murder, again, with firearms that were, you know, loaded, ready to go, the guards had a bug in that particular car. The guards were following them in a in a fake taxi and basically pulled them over. And as the guys in the car realised they were being caught, they start roaring and shouting inside the car and the guards had the audio of all of those conversations. Wow. So again, you had a whole hit team there jailed um, for periods of, you know, up to 12 years. The Kinahan cartel was the most lethal and organised killing machine and drug dealing machine we've ever seen in Ireland. But when you start taking their hit teams out of circulation, 
even though they're really big, you know, it just undermines their whole organization. Other crime gangs saw what was happening and they kind of said, right, we've really got to back off here because Garda operations just proved so successful against the Kinahan organization and they're far more organized than anybody else. And if they can get caught, well, then if we try that, we will get caught. Okay, so Connor, these lads have been taken off the streets. When they get out of jail, is it just going to bounce back? You know, certainly some of the people who were jailed for life and who were working for the Kinnan cartel, I mean, they're going to be in prison for, you know, 20, 30 years. So we don't, we don't have to be in any way concerned about them now. But if you look at even some of the really high profile operations uh, that the guards carried out back in 2017, 2018, when they caught hit squads on their way to kill people on behalf of the uh, Kinahan cartel. Some of those men were only jailed for five and six years. So some of them are actually out now already. Okay. Um, and more of them will be due for release in the next year or two. So we are going to have a flow of people, you know, who are working for the cartel to kill people coming out of jail now in the next year or two. You know, we have to be wary of that. And the classic thing that we would do wrong in Ireland is that we would say, right, the guards have done a great job. That job is over. And we'd step the effort down a bit. So, and which is really what happened with the cartel for a period of years. The experienced guards who've kind of been around the block again say, this is the danger time now. We have to keep the pressure on now. As these people come out of jail, just keep on top of them, uh, you know, keep an eye on them. And the minute they try and get back involved in organized crime, catch them with a gun or catch them with drugs, get them back into prison. The drugs trade is still booming. I mean, there's loads of money in Ireland at the moment and the drugs trade is booming along. And once it's booming along, you are always going to have fresh faces coming in the whole time. And we don't know, maybe there's some 16-year-old out there and we'll fast forward five years and he'll be the head of some gang that's, you know, killing people all over the place, basically. It's ever-evolving, but certainly one of the concerns is that the people who were jailed um, for shorter periods of time, a lot of them will now be due out of jail. Um, and we just have to keep an eye on that. Connor, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much. That's it for today. For full access to Irish Times journalism, including Connor Lally's reporting, go to irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe.